Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, it's good to be with all of you. If we have not had a chance to meet, I am Pastor Mike, and I am so glad you are here. I'm also glad that you are here. So thank you so much for joining us in your home. Hopefully you are relaxing, enjoying your Sunday morning. Uh, We are continuing through our summer series. And for us here at Bible Center, our hope is to, in the summer, give you time to reset yourself around the gospel and God's incredible grace. Specifically today, we're going to talk about resetting our families around the gospel, that is gospel mission and gospel living. As summer is in full gear, my hope is that you and your family are getting more time together. And I just want us to think through, how are we spending that time? How are we making the most of it? We're going to do that today by spending time in 2 Timothy. And we're going to talk through two major things. One, how do we live life on mission together with our family? And also, what character qualities does God call us to have to be these mission-minded people? In the book of 2 Timothy, you've got Paul writing to Timothy. And what's really fun in their relationship is the more you get to know them and watch them interact, there's this older guy, Paul, who's actually near the end of his life. He may not be that old, but he's an older guy, and he's in a prison cell. And he's writing to Timothy, who's a younger guy. And they have this strong spiritual relationship. Paul has been mentoring Timothy now for a long period of time. He knows Timothy's grandmother. He knows Timothy's mother. And both of them are believers in Christ. So Timothy has this great relationship with Christ, but Timothy's dad is never mentioned. So in many ways, we have a picture of a spiritual parent in the book of 2 Timothy passing the baton of ministry and mission onto his spiritual son. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, which is where we're going to be together, he clarifies the mission, and it's a mission that we all have. And he talks to us about what it's going to take to fulfill this mission. And then he goes on to talk about multiple character qualities that we're going to need to possess in order to be the disciple makers we've been called to be through three real-life examples. He's going to talk about us being a mission-minded soldier, a competitive athlete, and a hard-working farmer, something we all can relate to, but the question is, how are we doing it being those things, and how are we doing it passing those things on to our children and our grandchildren? So as we talk through those different character qualities, that's what I want us to ask. How are we doing as parents, as grandparents, maybe even as siblings at being these types of people, and then ask the question, how are we doing it passing this on to those that we love in our family, our children, our grandchildren, maybe even younger siblings, and even friends? So let's start by looking at the mission. The mission, according to 2 Timothy 2.2, is to make disciples who make disciples. He says it this way in verse 2. It says, "...in the things you have heard me say..." in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these to reliable people who will also be qualified or able to teach others. So in 2 Timothy 2.2, that verse he focuses on saying, all these things, Timothy, that you've heard me teach and say, this gospel that I've been declaring and teaching, take these things and I want you to pass them on to faithful and reliable people who will also take those same things and pass those on to others. In fact, this is what Christianity has looked like ever since Jesus. 
So in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus kind of summarizes his mission this way, in a really simple way. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus was the first sent one. In some ways, the Father kind of passed the baton to Jesus, and then Jesus passes it on to the disciples who he's talking to. So another way of looking at it would be this. The Father sends the Son. The Son then sends the disciples, and that includes Paul. Jesus met with Paul on the road, and he saw Paul converted. He went from Saul to Paul, and he sends Paul to be a missionary to the Gentiles. Paul then sends Timothy here in chapter 2, verse 2, and he tells Timothy, take these same things, take this gospel message, entrust it to reliable people, faithful people who will then pass it on to others, who pass it on to others, who pass it on to others. You are in that verse. When the verse talks about others, you are some of those others. If that hadn't happened, you and I wouldn't be Christians. So the mission goes forward and goes forward and goes forward. And we're called to live this mission in our home, in the church, and in the world. But just in the process of thinking through the bigness of this mission, I don't want us to ever forget about our children. Are we passing this mission on to our children? So the mission has been clarified. Paul then uses three real-life examples to help Timothy, his spiritual son, understand what's necessary to ongoingly live this life of mission. So Paul knows that Timothy needs to hear these examples. Have you ever met someone whose life just seems to be based around fear? They go out of their way to avoid anything that might cause pain or discomfort. If they don't know exactly what's going to happen, maybe they don't even do it. It just seems like fear is driving the way they live and driving their decisions. Many believe Timothy struggled like this. Timothy had that kind of personality. He was seen as being timid. He was seen as living life just kind of on his heels. Life's out there, and it seemed too messy and too scary to step into, so Timothy tended to stand back. It seems like there were other times when Timothy even struggled with being ashamed or embarrassed of both Paul and maybe even the gospel itself. But Timothy is now the pastor of a young church, and the situation doesn't allow him to be timid. It doesn't allow him to lead from his heels. Paul's saying, you've got to step into this, Timothy. There are false teachers that are gaining an audience in this church. Timothy has been called to lead this young church, and this young church needs someone to preach the gospel to them, to teach them, protect them, and to lead them. And Timothy is the man in your home, in the people in your life, those that you love, you are the man, you are the woman who is the center of this conversation. How are you doing at passing the baton of leading in this way? So to live life on mission for Timothy and for you and for me, we need to dig into these qualities of what it looks like to be a disciple maker. Parents, grandparents, you're going to have to live out these qualities so that you're children and your grandchildren can see you doing it so that they then will follow your lead. So when I jump into these qualities, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to talk about how we individually can grow in these, but I'm also going to spend a lot of time talking about parenting and how we can help our children grow in these. When I'm talking about God's Word and telling you what it means, there's some authority there because it's connected deeply to God's Word. When it comes to parenting, I want you to know that I'm going to give you examples of how I try to take these verses 
and apply them in my home to my particular children. You can totally disagree with some of the things that I say. And some of the examples I use, you might think that wouldn't work for my child. And if they won't work, don't do it. So I'm going to give you thoughts and suggestions. All I can give you is examples from my life with my children. And again, when I talk about parenting, it's okay if you don't see it the way I do. It's my attempt to take God's word and apply it into my home. I'm not going to bring in books I read on parenting. I'm not going to bring in psychology or statistics. I'm simply going to look at God's word and do my best. And hopefully something is found helpful for you. So the first example is mission-minded soldiers. Verse 3 says this. So verse 3 and 4 is all talking about this soldier mentality. He says to Timothy, join with me in suffering. So not on your heels. Step into it, Timothy. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather they try to please the commanding officer. So that's the thought process that someone should be going through as they're living life on mission. They're being this kind of soldier. They have to be mission-minded. If you are a soldier, you're thinking about accomplishing the mission. There's a directive. You have a commander that you're trying to please. There's a commitment that changes the way you act, the way you think, and what you do. Personal comfort and personal convenience is no longer the highest priority. The mission is the highest priority. The directive is the highest priority. So how do you please your commanding officer according to these verses? Well, number one is you're stepping into suffering and you're stepping out of civilian affairs. So there's two components to it. You're stepping into suffering and you're stepping out of civilian affairs. So let's look at both of those. Number one, stepping into suffering. This is necessary for us to accomplish the mission. To be disciples who make disciples, there will be discomfort. There'll be inconvenience. There will be times when there will be actual, literal suffering. This is actually the second time where Paul reminds Timothy of this. In chapter 1, he tells him to step into suffering. Again, he says it because it's a priority. It's something Timothy needs to hear and many of us need to hear. Paul, he can talk about suffering with authority. If you've ever read the book of Acts, Paul's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's, been in a, he's writing right now from a prison cell. He's been tossed over walls. He's been shipwrecked. He gets the suffering part of the mission. But so many of us can live our lives on our heels and step back out of mission because we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to get pushed. We don't want to be in a place where we can't control what's happening. So what does that look like? Sometimes we have the opportunity to share the faith with, our, the faith with someone, and we just choose not to. We step back out of a spiritual conversation instead of into the opportunity. We sometimes don't go out of our way to invest into relationships with our neighbors, coworkers, and friends that don't know Jesus. We just keep them at an arm's length. We oftentimes can offer to pray for someone, but not do anything to actually help them. Sometimes we hear someone misquote or misuse scripture, and we just kind of sit by and just kind of let it go with no correction, no helping that person know what the Bible really says, thinking maybe someone will speak up or maybe no harm will be done. We don't stand up for God's word. Parents, grandparents, 
it is nearly impossible to teach your children how to suffer well, how to step into suffering if you never do it. If you never are willing to get uncomfortable, if you're never willing to step into something that you're a little nervous about, your kids won't do it either. They need to watch us do it. So we have to step into it. Also, we're called to step out of civilian affairs. Step out of civilian affairs. Why? So that the soldier's not entangled, distracted, or dissuaded from accomplishing the mission. Anything that brings in distraction, anything that takes you away from the directive is a civilian affair. It can look like so many things. It can look like career. It can look like bank accounts, cars, homes, toys, hobbies, apps, social media, friend groups. It can look like so many things. If there's anything other than the mission that's consuming you, just slow down. Perhaps it's a civilian affair. Are you thinking like a soldier? Does your schedule look like a soldier's schedule? Are you single-minded or are you scatterbrained? It happens to all of us. There's so much stuff coming at us. We just have to check ourselves every once in a while. There's just a reality. If our kids don't see us living on mission and they see us putting all of our value and our time and our energy into hobbies, things, stuff, anything other than Jesus and his mission, that's what they're going to learn from us. And that's what they're going to mimic as they grow older. That's the value they will take on themselves. They will look like us. If you ask that question, if I know that my child 20 years from now will look like me, act like me, make the decisions I'm making, would you be proud of that child? Or would you hope for more? Now is the time to make those changes. Now is the time to shift, to pivot, to live life like a soldier. So parents, I want you to ask these two questions. Grandparents, ask these two questions. Where in my life right now am I avoiding conversations, decisions, or relationships in order to avoid suffering and to just simply remain comfortable and in control? There's tendencies to do that. There might even be faces and people in your mind as I ask that question that you're intentionally avoiding because it might be an uncomfortable conversation. It might scare you to talk spiritually with that person. Second question. What things, relationships, or hobbies do I have in my life that prevent me or stop me or distract me from being sold out for Jesus and his mission? I know there's things calling me all the time. There's things calling you. Are they distracting you to the point where you've fallen off mission? Helping our children. Here comes some of the parenting stuff. I'm just going to throw out some topics and just give some ideas and examples. Number one, help your kids have real conversations. This is us helping our kids step into suffering and step out of civilian affairs. Encourage your kids to get into conversations and situations for Jesus where the outcome might be unknown and the situation could be uncomfortable. Help them get into those types of conversations. Maybe get them on a mission trip or to camp. Have them invite a friend to church that may or may not know Jesus. Have friendships with another family that have kids, and that family maybe doesn't know Jesus. Why? So there can be a difference. There can be distinction between you and them. You love them. They care about you. You build into them. They get to know you better, but you're showing the love of Jesus. You're talking about the love of Jesus, and your kids are seeing it through those real conversations, which lead to real relationships. 
Number two, real discomfort. I encourage you to help your children sometimes get uncomfortable. I watch a lot of parents, and I feel within myself, to want to just protect our kids and do everything we, we can to keep them comfortable and safe. And I'm not saying remove safety. But sometimes, let your kids get uncomfortable. Push the limits. Show them what it looks like on the other side of discomfort. It's through discomfort, it's through challenges that we see improvement, we see growth, we see increases in strength and increases in discipline. But if you never go through the discomfort, you never get the benefits of it. So you miss out. For years and years, I was a full-time personal trainer, something I really enjoy. I still do it some on the side. But the first couple months with every single client, one of the main things I have to teach them is how to be okay with being not okay. I have to teach them what it feels like to be uncomfortable. And I'll stand beside them, and they will pay me to stand beside them and say, I know it's hard. I can see the sweat hitting the ground. You're not done yet. You need to do another rep. You need to give me a little more. And then each week, they give me a little more and a little more and a little more, and eventually, they start to get it. I can push myself to a point of discomfort, and the result is I feel better for the rest of the day. I feel better for the rest of the week. My energy levels are going up. I'm getting stronger. I feel better. I look better because they're going through discomfort. It's something we sometimes have to actually learn through experience. What's interesting is God actually has designed our body to benefit, going, to benefit by going through hard things. He rewards us by going through discomfort and challenge. Endorphins kick in. Adrenaline kicks in. Dopamine kicks in. And we have the result of increased strength by going through hard things. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to go through hard things. Real-world experience. So we might disagree here, and that's totally fine. I just want to throw this at you to think about. Try not to shelter your kids so much that they live in a bubble and they never bump into people who think about things differently than they do. Put them in positions where they have conversations with people that disagree with them, that challenge them a little bit push them a little bit in their faith, and then stand there and support your kids and talk to your kids, help them work through those conversations so they know how to interact with someone who doesn't agree with them. This world is full of people that don't believe in Jesus, and many actually hate Jesus. Help your kids learn how to love those who disagree with them. Put their arm around those who hate the Savior who saved them, because only in those moments do we see life change and mission move forward. One more thought on stepping into suffering. Help your kids be a lead repenter. So real reconciliation is the topic. I know your children, just like my children, have moments where they have disagreements with friends. And it's really easy for us as parents to think our child is 100% right and the other child is 100% wrong. That just rarely happens. Even if your child's 90% right and the other child is 10% wrong, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for your child to own the 10% and to go to the other child and say, I'm so sorry I did this. Will you forgive me? Even if the other child was more responsible than yours, help your child get into positions where they're willing to repent, to be a lead repenter. That feels like suffering. If you live like that, it is not easy but you learn so much. You start to look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and love and forgive like Jesus. The next picture we get is the picture of a competitive athlete. In verse five, 
it says this, and there's a couple components to this verse. It says, in the same way, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So we're going to first look at this idea of competing. The thought here is just assumed that if you're an athlete, you're going to compete. You're going to push. So first thought is compete. Help your kids go for it. Help your kids know they can do it. So many of us sit on the sidelines and we just watch life go by. Opportunities, mission just goes by. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 tells us the opposite. When it comes to life, we do it this way. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. With your kids, when they pick a sport, they do it for the Lord. If they're in the chess club, they do it for the Lord. No matter what they do, it's all heart for the Lord. I know for me, when I was in eighth grade, my cross-country coach came up to me. And she looked at me. Now, seventh grade, I was an okay runner. Uh, we had a big team, about 80 kids on the cross-country team. I was maybe the fourth or fifth runner. But moving up, there were a couple kids that were probably faster than me. And she looked at me and she said, are you going to be the number one runner this year? And that was the first time I'd ever thought of it. And I said, yeah, I'll be the number one runner. And from that moment on, in every single practice, I was the number one runner. Because someone looked me in the eye and said, I think you can do it. And she pushed me to compete. And I went for it, and I learned so much from that one small statement from someone who believed in me. So we compete. We teach our kids to push. Athletes push themselves. You've never, you've never met a champion or a winner who didn't push themselves. They learn how to get uncomfortable. As a runner, I'm a runner. I try to be. Running is basically an exercise of pain management. If you try to go farther, it hurts. If you try to go faster, it hurts. Just to run at all sometimes hurts. How do you handle the pain and discomfort? Here's the mental game I play. When I start feeling that pain seep in, I literally stop and I acknowledge it. I'm like, hello, friend. Let's finish this race together. It helps me. Like, you know it's coming. Just how do you negotiate it when it hits you? If you believe pain grows you, if you believe pain makes you better, if you believe, if you believe discomfort makes you a better runner, a better whatever you're doing then you welcome it. You invite it to join you. And it's a part of the process. So we push. We also win. The verse talks about a victor's crown, which is a little different than a participation trophy. It talks about a victor's crown. Here's a suggestion. Again, this might be a point of disagreement, and I'm okay with that. I want my kids, when we play something, I want them to learn, strategize, and grow to be able to beat me in that game. So the first time I play, I go ahead and beat them. Second time I beat them, I keep beating them in ping pong, in whatever, until they get to the point where they can beat me. Now, I'm not saying take your five-year-old daughter out, hand her a basketball, smash it out of her hand and dunk on her. I'm not saying that. Be appropriate with age, gender, situation. But with my son, now he crushes me in ping pong. He beats me in bumper pool. He beats me in chess. He runs faster than me. He gets better grades than me. He's even like six inches taller than me. Praise the Lord. Like, I want everything for him. But I had to teach him how to beat me in those things. So he learned how to study things and to push himself and to strategize and to think. I would hear him downstairs playing ping pong for hours until he could beat me. He would study chess until he could beat me. 
I was teaching them how to win because you have to learn how to win. You have to strategize. You have to go for it. But sometimes you have to lose before you win. It's okay if your child sometimes loses. It makes them better. It makes them stronger. After win, inspire. Inspire your children. Help them go for it. Encourage them. The standard that the Bible gives us is all your heart for the Lord. So when it comes to picking what they do, if they do it with all their heart, regardless of the outcome, you celebrate it. If they come in last place in a race, but they gave it all their heart, you celebrate it. If they come in first place, but they don't do it with all their heart, it's a teaching moment. All your heart for the Lord. Celebrate. It's a victor's crown. Athletes go for a victor's crown. So it connects to all your heart because you're going, to be the, you're going to try to be the best that you can be. The second part of the verse in chapter 5, again, it says, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So you can go for it with all your heart, but if you're cheating, if you're not doing it the way the Lord's designed you to do it, you still don't win. I'm going to give you another running illustration because that's what I did. I wasn't big enough to play football. I wasn't tall enough to play basketball, but I was little enough to be a runner. My sophomore year of track, there was this guy from a competitive school that we always went against named Matt Calder. I remember his name. I remember his face. I remember the way he runs because I had to run behind him a lot because he was always in front of me. So I'm a sophomore. He's a senior. We line up for the two-mile race. Uh, He's already run three other events, so I think maybe I've got a shot at beating him. He should be tired. We start going. The winner of this race pretty much caused the whole team to win or to lose the track meet. I can't catch him. He's just flat out faster than me. I never beat this guy. So he's in first, I'm in second, but there's a point where I'm looking down on the track and he is running on the inside of the inside lane. He's cutting the corners. So as we're going past the judge, we're running and I simply look at the judge and I go, and the judge looks at me and goes, We just had a very important conversation there. So after that conversation, the race is over, and guess who won the race? I won the race. He beat me on the track, but because he didn't do it according to the rules, I won and our team won. When it comes to parenting, my first thought here with according to the rules is the idea of creating a field of play. So with my kids, I'm always thinking this. Based upon their age, based upon their maturity, based upon their stage of development in life, clearly identify for them what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. Teach teach them and show them how to interact when they're on their playing field of life, how to score and what the penalties are, how to define a win, how to define a loss. And you do this through clear communication, consistent feedback, positive and negative. So as you can see, this field of play Help them understand how it works. This is where you play. When you go here, bad. When you're here, good. And help them think through that and understand that and how it works in your family, in your life. Now, if my child gets it and they're going for it in the field of play, they're doing their chores, they're respecting their mom, they're listening to what we ask them to do, they're making good choices, then my field of play gets bigger for them. They have more freedom. They can do more things. If those things don't happen, I quickly shrink that field of play. Something you're going to hear me say over and over again is build trust. Build trust. My kids' names are Luke and Lexi. They could probably quote that over and over. My dad wants me to build trust. 
My dad wants me to build trust because I say it to him all the time. And as they build trust through good decision-making, they have more and more freedom. The size of the field keeps getting bigger and bigger. You want your children to experience consequences for their decisions. This whole idea of shrinking the field is consequences. There's just the reality that one day your children, your grandchildren, your friends, people you care about will go out into the world, they will make a mistake, and people who don't care about them will bring consequences into their life. You want them to learn and understand what consequences feel like first with someone who loves them from you so that they're ready to manage it when they go out into the world and deal with it with someone who doesn't necessarily care about them. Hardworking farmers, our third picture. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So here's the description, hardworking. And as they work hard, they get a share of the crops. They get some reward for working hard. So two components are there. If you know a farmer, a lot of my relatives back from Pennsylvania, great aunts, great uncles, they were all farmers. To be a farmer, you have to be single-minded in your work. You wake up every morning thinking about the crop about planting, about growing, about harvesting. You're never aimless, you're never careless. You work with a singular purpose to plant and grow and harvest this crop. To be a good farmer, you often have to say no to some things, to be really good at the things God has called you to do. They have focus. For you as a parent or grandparent, help your kids learn how to focus. There's more than way of thinking through this. Here's the way that my wife and I have thought through this with our kids. There's a difference between working hard with purpose and just being super busy. Our tendency has been to not let our kids overload themselves with activities. We let our kids pick one thing to do, a sport or an activity, they do one thing, and they do it with all their heart. If they do that well, and they show us they have capacity, then we let them do two things and go for it with all their heart. If they can't do it, we go back to one thing with all their heart. I don't want them to do 10 things half-heartedly. That's just called busyness, that's called distraction. I want them to learn how to do things with all their heart. There's this ongoing tension between being single-minded and well-rounded. I'd rather my kids be wholehearted, whatever that looks like. So the question is, can they do with all their heart and do they have the capacity for more things? There's also struggle. I want you to be okay if your kids go through hard things. It's good to have hard jobs. It's good to have hard moments. There's a struggle. Farmers have calluses. Farmers are exhausted. Farmers usually stink by the end of the day. It's okay if you stink. It's okay if your kids stink. I remember working at Wendy's for years. I stunk. That's just part of working fast food. It's part of it. The next thought is patience. The farmer can plant, but he can't make it grow. He has to wait, and he has to be ready so he cannot make the harvest ready to be harvested. He has to wait. How does that work with kids? You don't always have to say yes right away to every request from your kids. Sometimes saying no, sometimes saying not yet is exactly what they need to hear. You're going to teach them patience. I said I wasn't going to refer to psychology. Sorry, here it comes. Studies show that kids who have the ability to handle delayed gratification are most likely going to be the most successful adults of the group. You have to teach your kids to handle something that's delayed. I want it, 
Okay, well, tomorrow let's have a conversation about it. I want it now. Good. I look forward to talking to you about that tomorrow. Let your kids slow down and not get what they want when they want it all the time. Also, I encourage you to make your kids earn some of what they are given. What do I mean by that? My son Luke will be turning 17, and when he turns 17, he will be paying half of his car insurance. He's going to learn, he's going to have to learn the value of a dollar. How do I earn money to help take care of the thing I want to have? That's access to a car, access to friends, access to freedom. At 18, he gets to pay for all of it. When I was a kid, my parents had me pay them $1,000 before I went to college every year. It was good for me. I was investing in my college education. Last thought here is rewards. That verse talks about having a share of the crop. When your kids work hard, reward them. Celebrate them. Buy a shelf to put their awards on. Buy a hook for their medals. Tell them how proud you are of them. Make them a special meal. Make them their favorite food. Create financial incentives for when they work hard. Just celebrate your kids. They get some reward for what they've done. My daughter, Lexi, at the state cross-country meet when she was, when we were in Kentucky, when she was in elementary school, the last part, the last quarter mile is around this field. And People who are watching can see it. In fact, you can even get really close to the runners as they're going around this field. I told her, every runner you pass in that last quarter mile, you're going to get a dollar. She earned $14 that day, and she even talked me into a milkshake. She killed it. She came out of the woods, hit that field, and she just started sprinting like a madwoman. Now, she's like this big. She was like the littlest person out there. She came in fourth place that day in the state for $14 in the milkshake. She sensed the desire for the reward, and she went for it. Set your kids up for that. For all of this to happen, to get your family on gospel mission, to get your family living out these gospel qualities for you as a parent, as a grandparent, or maybe even for you as a child who needs to spend more time with your parents, I need you to think intentionality and quality time. This is what I want to leave you with, intentionality and quality time. Soldiers, athletes, farmers learn their trade, they learn their skill by spending time with their commanders, their coaches, and other farmers. None of this happens if we don't spend time with our children. Vision and mission are not only taught, but they are caught as we spend time with our kids and they see us living life on mission. You need to make the time. How? I don't know. Think through it, but you've got to make the time. I've learned to play lacrosse so I can play with my daughter. I've watched anime, anime, so I get to know my son better. Yes, anime. So do what it takes to get to know your kids. Here's a couple of questions I want to throw past you. If you want to pass the baton on to your children, ask yourself these things. One, how am I doing at living out the mission of Jesus in my life? Also, do my children know Jesus's mission? How are they doing at living it out in their lives? How can I, how can you become more of a mission-minded soldier, a competitive athlete, a hard-working farmer? That's the question. I want you to take that home. I want you to think about it, work on it, have discussion with with your spouse, with your friends, with your kids. Go for it. Quality time, intentionality. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to live life on mission We want to make disciples who make more disciples. That only happens when we live life with a single-mindedness, 
when we are hardworking, when we're competitive, when we're playing according to your rules. So teach us, grow us as individuals, but also as families. May we raise a generation of children and grandchildren who lead us forward in this community, making disciples who make disciples, living on your mission centered on your gospel. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 